week two of the 2019 college football season and of the Paul Bunyan podcast. You know, Mike, they say the biggest improvement in college football is between week one and week two. And we hope the same is true for college football podcasts. And uh, (laughs) both Michigan and Michigan State are coming off wins and we'll get right into it. You know, Joe, I was thinking, they say that a household that has both Spartans and Wolverines is a house divided. True. I was thinking we're a podcast divided. <laughs> that would have been a good title if uh, if Paul Bunyan podcast was taken. That's true. That's true. So it's uh, week two, the deuce, and Michigan's offense took a deuce. <laughs> we can get right into it. Um this week, we're just going to cover the offense and defense simultaneously of both teams. Yeah. But we're still doing, you know, the deep dive. Um, Dealing with the details. Yeah. What, watching that uh, Michigan versus Army game live wasn't fun for any Michigan fan. It was nerve-wracking and hard to watch. And the offense was sloppy again and even worse than in week one. Um, I do have to say, I was dreading the rewatch. But I felt better after a rewatch, which was nice. Um, the defense played at least solid, even to the hard-to-please fan. Uh, you could even say they played well, um, and uh, you wouldn't necessarily be talking out your rear end. They were put in tough positions. Offense, too many turnovers, questionable play hauling. There was more than a handful of plays where Shea should have kept it. Uh, It was questionable not to kick the field goal. Um, I believe it was the fourth quarter when they went for it on fourth and two. That would have ended up winning the game, and they wouldn't even have to worry about overtime. Right. Uh, The offensive line didn't have the best game. Um, Watching live, I thought they played very poorly. Um, The rewatch, I thought I saw things I like. Like, for example, that if Shea would have kept it, there would have been some big plays there. Yeah. Um. So on that rambling, did you have anything you want to add? And we can kind of go back and forth a little bit. I mean, you know, my concerns for the offense are probably the same that any Michigan fan has. They're still putting the ball on the ground too often. They lost three out of the four fumbles versus Army. They lost two out of four versus Middle Tennessee. So that's eight fumbles in two games. Um, And, yeah, you mentioned Shea Patterson. And, you know, the O-line did give up four sacks. But, you know, there are coverage sacks. There are sacks that aren't really on the O-line. I might pin them more on Patterson. Mm. And um, there was one that uh, you could definitely put on Hayes. Definitely. And there was one you could put on uh, Christian Turner, and that's why he was uh, benched almost the rest of the game. He played one play in the fourth quarter, and that's after uh, Charbonnet ran it like six straight times. Right. And I forget if it was the first fumble or the second one, but Shea he was, like, getting tackled, and he kind of, like, almost threw it on the ground. Like, he was trying to do it. He had the ball pass. far. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then one thing I kind of noticed was that with the game on the line in the fourth quarter and in overtime, the ball was sort of taken out of Shea Patterson's hands. Um, you know, like, it was mainly, like, a ground-and-pound type of game. So I think Michigan might be struggling to find some identity early on. Like they might not know what their biggest strengths and weaknesses are. They don't because they got very conservative in the second half. They ran it 27 times in the second half. And mind you, they were trailing or tied most of that time. Right. Actually, they don't think they had to lead the entire game. (laughs) Um, 
And also, I have a stat here. Um, on the pl- on the scoring drive, I, I can't find it in my notes right away, but in the scoring drive, Shea Patterson. Oh, here it is. Three for four, and they scored. And I'm, how, do you re- do you remember off the top of your head how they scored? Was it a passing play? I think Charbonnet had all three touchdowns. Okay, but they were three for four, and also in the second half, they had 14 pass plays for 90 yards, seven averaging seven yards, not not yeah, a completion. They had 27 rushes for 61 yards. Charbonnet looked tired in the fourth quarter, and he should be. He had 33 rushes for the entire game. Yeah. And his the Army knew it was coming. And as the game went on, his per carry went down. It was, like, blatantly obvious that they should be passing. And it was blatantly obvious that Shea should have been keeping it. And it was, like <laughs> – and um, Nico Collins is six foot four, and the guy that was covering him – was like six inches shorter, and they right. really didn't play on that mismatch as much as they should have. And he's probably the guy covering Nico. Probably isn't as much of an athlete either. No, Let's take Army, away from any Army players. Army's but. strength is their defensive line and the triple option. And yeah, and you know the defense I thought was mostly positive. Like you said, they were put into some bad situations. They knew Army would bring the run game and test the D line. Uh, they forced three fumbles, recovering two. They had an interception a sack, but it's considering how few, how many times army actually drops back to pass. Like one sack isn't a, a bad mark on Michigan's defense. And then also no big plays allowed. But again, that might be a result of the type of opponent you're playing in that game. Still averaging 3.3 yards. A play isn't bad. No. Uh, something else I wanted to touch on Michigan as they did the, uh, stats overlay of the game. It would be Army 60 yards, Michigan 120. And these aren't exacts, but Michigan 200 yards, Army 100, and 100 total yards at that point in the game. And, at, you know, Michigan's trailing, and they end up still with 100 yards more. I think they had 340 to Army's 240. And it's just like Michigan was averaging a lot more yards per play than Army. Um, and this Army team – had 16 more yards than Oklahoma last year when they played and lost. Right. Like, but we did they, mention how like Oklahoma had a, a defensive coordinator who maybe shouldn't have had that job. Their offensive well, coordinator maybe should have been fired after that game. I went back <laughs> and deep dive that game. They played worse than Michigan. Yeah, they, they Oklahoma is known for their offense uh, and the fact that they uh, the fact that they um, their offense was playing worse than Army's and. Uh, and uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm looking up a stat here. No but, um, yeah. Oh, in Oklahoma, they did the same thing as Michigan. They went super conservative in the second half. And I don't understand yeah. why Jim Harbaugh or Josh Gaddis or Lincoln Riley are doing this. Like, uh, it was funny after the game, someone was saying, uh, a very angry Twitter fan, it might have been on Facebook, like, fire Harbaugh. And someone was like, okay, who do you want to hire? Who's better? Chris Peterson was one of the person people they mm-hmm. named who just lost to Cal, right? Right. Um, Les Miles, who just lost to who was it? Uh, Coastal Court Carolina. Coastal Carolina. Granted, he's at, at Grant, he's at Kansas. Granted, he's <laughs> at Kansas, but he also was at LSU, which is one of the easiest places to recruit right. in the entire country. And he had one good quarterback the entire time he was there, Jamarcus Russell. Um, 
and and another one was Lincoln Riley. And it's like Oklahoma played Army worse than Michigan. Now I'm not saying this to excuse Michigan, but right. like like I said, these are the type of things that made me feel a little bit better after watching it. You and would, Army's Army's not a bad team. It's not like Eastern Michigan was pushing you to the limit on Saturday. You know, right. Army they know what they're good. They know how to do what they need to do. And everybody in the stadium knows what Army's going to do, which kind of makes it even the more impressive that they're able to run the ball as many times as they are. You know, you don't see any other college team drop back to pass four or five times, whatever it was. And you're right. It's just just to put a bow on the point, I guess I was kind of making with my scatterbrain uh, uh, facts is that while Michigan fans were watching on Saturday, they probably wish they had someone like Oklahoma's coach calling the plays. Yeah. And Oklahoma <laughs> actually did worse. But I was also on this podcast last week saying I thought maybe Army was a bit overrated. But maybe their best wins, you know, what did I say? Their best one was someone that was 76 in S&P. Yeah. And um, maybe that's just because they didn't play anyone else except Oklahoma, and they gave them a fight. And I think – uh, a fourteen to seven win over Rice is maybe a little bit misleading as well. That's the style they play. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's that was the other thing. Also, um, their defensive line is legit. That's what I'm saying. Like some of the stats, um, that Michigan gave up. It's like, yeah, but they're playing Army. Well, yeah, but they're playing Army in that matchup is actually a positive versus right. maybe not taking care of or taking. Uh, Taking advantage of the mismatch in other areas. I also thought Army uh, made a few mistakes, obviously throwing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that throw on third and goal. Right. Um, to be and honest. That was the interception, yeah. right? Yeah, with Levert Hill. And then Kalik Hudson coming up the middle. Uh, yeah. If you're if really passing plays into Michigan's um, – is is advantage from Michigan when the yeah, uh, Army pass and just in in general, Don Blount Brown likes to blitz, you know. So, yeah. so yeah, you know, there's definitely reason to be concerned. I wouldn't panic by any means because, like I said, Army they're semi legit, you know. But it's it's a little discouraging when um, they have a chance to win on the last play of the game. You don't want to give an underdog like that, even a shot. Yeah, and no, there was a couple times Michigan was giving the game up and uh, Army gave it right back with uh, with the interception. I'm trying yeah. to re- they did just threw too much in general at times. Right. Um, I mean, potentially Army could have gone up 21-7 to midway through the third quarter uh, had there not been at all a false start on, I think it was third and goal from the two or the one. That really killed Army, and that's something that Michael overlooked a little bit. Yeah, and and, and there was times that uh, I felt that Michigan really could have taken hold of the game too. There was kind of a game of near misses, um, that fumble recovery. Michigan was not down. That should have been a touchdown. Uh, whenever they'd get momentum and the offense would start moving, the start of the game, Michigan's D and their offense was rolling, and then you had that, that uh, fumble in uh, yeah. Army's territory. It was looking like uh, Michigan was going to go up by two scores, which is, you know, that suffocation. Of, Against uh, a team like yeah, Army. Yeah. It was, at times it felt like neither team wanted to win the game. I definitely think it's a great 
time for their first bye week because um, they still have some injuries. You know, Runyon and Peoples Jones. And um, True Wilson, True Wilson, and you know, time to get some of your head straight because you know, Wisconsin may not have been playing the greatest competition, but I saw they won 61 nothing. Who was they right. playing central? Okay, yeah, oh, two and ten central in the mat, but still to be outscoring <laughs> your opponents a combined 110 to nothing. Uh, that's impressive. What else, yeah, what else can you do? It looks like they haven't been scored the on this pretty year. well. So there is a bit of a threat of a quarterback this year. Unlike, I know Hornibrook statistically was good, but he just he did not pass the eye test for me. Jack Cohn has been, I think, playing. He a little had a bad. Bit. Once they played Michigan last year, he uh, that was the end of his uh, his, his being yeah. statistically good. But Wisconsin's also on a bye week this week too. Oh, South Florida lost to Georgia Tech. <laughs> who got mauled? Wisconsin's other opponent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got mauled. Sorry, they no got worries. mauled uh, by uh, Georgia Tech. Got mauled by Clemson right. in Week One. It's Clemson, but still, they they have a new coach, and they're actually trying to switch from a triple option to a new offensive package this year. But uh, I mean, Wisconsin might have the big, even considering their opponents, they might have the best defense in the Big Ten, and uh, you might have thought um, Michigan State or Ohio State or Iowa would have the best defense in the Big Ten, but right now it might be Wisconsin early on. Might be. I still feel pretty good about Michigan State's defense, but we'll get into that. Yeah, I'm not saying absolute. I'm just saying yeah, I mean, you know, it yeah. might still be Iowa. It might still be Ohio State. And we can Ohio get into State other teams. Yeah. We can get into that a little bit. I, I was saying that like Iowa State could or Ohio State could have really won that week one by yeah. a larger margin if they wanted to, and they proved that against a good Cincinnati team. But uh, I still have a couple things I want to say about the yeah. defense. Like I said, Hill, big-time interception. Um, Kalik Hudson's the one that pressured the QB to set that up. Uh, talk about near misses. There was a lot of good stops for little to no gain. Uh, you know, you hold Army to three yard or really two yards or less on any single play. And that's good because yeah. they're not afraid to go for it on fourth and two or fourth and three. They just want three yards, and that's fine. Yeah. There's many plays there was no gain or um, there's two or three yards. Um, but Michigan did not have a tackle for a loss until overtime. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah that is just near misses. They just need to do a little bit more. Um, and also they would force fourth downs, and Army was – Three for three? Three for four on fourth down? Yeah, they were pretty effective. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but yeah, it I, did feel like any time it was I, – I love the way their coach approaches the game. I forget his name at the moment, but he was just purely analytic. Like the the announcers were talking about – Three for three on fourth down, by the way. Thank you. Uh, they were talking about the book that he has that tells him in which situation to go for it and which situation not to, and he just takes emotion right out of it. It's purely – Whatever the stats say, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, there's a lot of arguing uh, about tangible versus intangible. And I like to go to analytics a lot, but I understand, you know, that's not the other thing. But, like, a lot of times people frame that as tangible versus intangible, you yeah. know. Um, there's certain former players that are like, oh, you stat geeks, you don't know what you're talking about. And then the stat geeks are like, well, I can go to a casino and use these numbers to win a bunch <laughs> of money, you know, it's, but uh, I like looking at it both ways. Um, there's also the eye test, but, you know, um, it's very interesting. I mean, the fact he went for it three times on fourth down and got it. Like I said, this 
the things that Michigan was doing well is just near misses. They just need a little bit more. Um, yeah. I, I do think Uche and Hutchison really have come out strong as rushers, pass rushers, and, you know, um, and then the Michigan was actually pretty good against the run, the 3.3 yards per play. Like, right. if the offense didn't like have the yips, if the offense didn't have the yips, that would have been enough to win. And Jordan Glasgow had a good game, too. Um, like I said, I would have liked to see Christian Turner play a little bit more. Because yeah, 30, like, you look at Charbonnet's number, it's like, yeah, he got 100 yards, but 33 carries, you know, he had a long of, his longest run was 12 yards. You know, that's not super efficient, but at the same time, it's like, you know, he's Early probably getting they- worn down. Early on in the game, you know, that you just saw a sliding scale as he got tired and yeah. uh, Army knew it was coming. And that might have been um, – you might have been able to take care of that if Shea Patterson was keeping the ball. He's just yeah. – that's – when I criticize Shea, that's – And he I did don't have know, some drops too. I don't know if it's the play calling or him. Right. Um, Because if, if they're telling him to hand it off, you know – then it's not his fault. If they're not, and like I said, the passing was fine. I don't understand why they didn't pass it more. But getting back to Turner, that was a failed uh, blitz pickup. Like, usually you see a guy sit for a quarter after that. The fact that he was pretty much benched until they absolutely had to play him. And that's where the true Wilson injury comes up big. Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand that. Like, they really... They really use they kind of push their luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, 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 that's that's the bulk of my notes, Joe. Is okay. there? I, I mean, I, I could continue talking, but um, I think we're. I can. Do um, you have any other notes? I do have. I, I just remember I took a couple of screenshots of, of a few tweets that I thought would be. Uh, topical for this, uh, Michael Spath, who hosts a local radio show and was a longtime writer, he took a screen, uh, he uploaded a video and he's talking about the bad call on that fumble. And here's what he says He says, Here's what's even worse about the blown call on the fumble recovery. The linesman is in the background, runs about three yards before he stops and decides Metellus was down. So his first instinct was to let the play go. And then he does a complete 180 and blows it dead, which, of course, means it can't be reviewed. It's a terrible. um, My thought is there's a couple lot of things Michigan could have done so that play doesn't even come up. But in a game like that where you knew Army was going to make it a short game with their style of play, that touchdown would have been big. Oh, and he also uh, talked to some informed folks about the game he said after the early whiffs whiffs by the o-line and rb that led to fumbles um these people said that shea became nervous in the pocket he didn't trust his protection he didn't look downfield because he was rushing himself yeah and that concerns me a little bit when you have a a senior quarterback who kind of starts to play a little shaky after a, a few bad breaks um that wouldn't instill a ton of confidence in me necessarily but when he was passing, he looked good though. Even the he floor. did have some good passes, and you know Ronnie Bell had a few. That was drops another on name. Yeah, and he had some big. <laughs> he had some big he had catches. Some big plays yeah, too, yeah, yeah. Ronnie Bell's really young, and they say that uh, one of the reasons Oliver Martin 
transferred was because of Ronnie. Not just because of him, but also they knew some of the running backs would be getting more looks and possible yeah. passes. So, and you know, uh, even though Hayes had a couple mistakes, I don't think he was terrible for a freshman, and that might be why Hudson. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, some of these. Yeah. So uh, I think that's about wraps it up for Michigan. If we want to move on so. to state, yeah, like I said, reason for concern, but don't panic. But we got a, a big one coming up I, in two I'm, weeks. That's and, uh, interesting that we're seeing eye to eye on that because th- there was definitely some uh, reason to I be down on Michigan. I definitely wanted to come in and just be guns a blazing on them, but like you said, after a couple of rewatches, and you know, we're not recording this on Saturday. It's now Wednesday that we're recording this after the game. Yeah, it's it's calmed down a little. It's interesting that Bill Conley, who does SMP for uh, ESPN and Football Outsiders, dropped Michigan from 14th to 15th, so they only went down one spot. And this is just the two games they played. And then uh, Army lost and went up three spots. So Michigan State's offense came alive in a way that I did not think was possible. (laughs) I'm very (laughs) pleased with the offense. The defense might have come back down to earth a little bit, but – I'll get into that. Yeah, the offense, pretty much all positive on that end. They scored 51 points. It was their first time scoring over 40 points since the bowl game against Washington State two years ago. First time scoring 50 or more since 2015 against Penn State. They picked up 582 yards, which is the most they had since 2014 when they had players like Cook, Jack Conklin, Tony Lippett, Jeremy Langford. So many great players on that offense. Uh, The offensive line was much maligned, deservedly so, after the Tulsa game. But what really stood out to me was they gave up no sacks against Western. And Western is a very experienced group. They still have players that played in the Cotton Bowl three years ago. They're they're a very deep team. They're still from the MAC. They're not great. I think they were like 7-6 or 8-5 last season. 7-6. And no offensive penalties. They converted every third down in the first half. They didn't punt until the fourth quarter, and when they did punt, they forced the fumble on it and recovered it and then scored a touchdown, which was awesome. And I, w- I was kind of shell-shocked that it wasn't just the way they were – it wasn't just that they were scoring. It was the way they were scoring. Here are their – they were quick strike, big plays. Here, here are their scoring drives real quick. Four plays, 79 yards, a minute 34, touchdown. Nine plays, 69 yards, two minutes, 43 seconds, touchdown. Five plays, 80 yards, 217, touchdown. Nine plays, 80 yards, 340, touchdown. Eight plays, 60 yards, 49 seconds, field goal. And that was just because the clock was running out. They kicked the field goal with one second left on the clock. Uh, Then five plays, 63 yards, a minute 55, field goal. Nine plays, 61 yards, 406, field goal. Coughlin is seven for seven on the season, attempting field goals. Then eight plays, 57 yards, 425, touchdown. Four plays, 24 yards, two minutes, 11 seconds, touchdown off, an, off a uh, recovered fumble. Um, three players really stood out to me for Michigan State. Obviously, Brian Lewerke had his best game statistically, um, maybe since his sophomore season when he threw for 400 yards in back-to-back weeks. He looked great. He was accurate. For the most part, he made good decisions. He had... He had one bad decision where he kind of threw it away. It got tipped and picked. That's a combo of a bad decision and bad luck. But if you make bad decisions, you kind of get what's coming to you, you know? Mm-hmm. Or um, he wasn't great in the red zone, but overall he had um, – he was 23 of 32, 314 yards and three, touchdown, three touchdowns. He only carried the ball one time, 
which I really liked in that game because you didn't need him to carry the ball at all. Yeah, you don't want to have an injury that's unnecessary. Limit the wear and tear. And the reason he was able to keep throwing the ball and not have to pull it down and run was because of Elijah Collins. He got his first start at running back, 17 carries, 192 yards in his first ever start. Uh, That's the most rushing yards for a freshman running back since Javon Ringer in 05. So, oh wow! Pretty good company. So um, before I start rambling, uh, I'll let you get in. Most you uh, not too different. Uh, slight distinction. I was actually probably a little bit more impressed with the defense. Okay. And the reason that is, and that I know that might be a little bit different, is um, Western Michigan is really not a good. Doesn't have a very good defense, but they actually have a pretty good offense. Yeah, their uh, defense is actually ranked worse than Tulsa's. They were one of the worst defenses in football and- last year. Tulsa brought a 3-3-5 defense, and Western Michigan was more traditional. Out of like 100 and, was it, 30 teams about right now? There yeah. Last year they were ranked 112, so unless there's a big change there. But they were actually 60th uh, in offense, which is yeah. really good for an offense, which is really good for a MAC team. And it's uh, we've seen teams win Big Ten titles with uh, – yeah, with the offenses I, ranked about 60th if you have a good defense, which I'm not saying Western does. I'm saying the complete opposite. That's right. why they were 7-6. They, they were much stronger on one side of the ball than the other. So I don't think that 17 points not is really and, bad at all. And 10 of them came on their last two drives when it was mostly backups. That's right, because wasn't it uh, yeah. 51 or 44-7 to seven at one it point? Was. The thing is, they did move the ball fairly well. They did not finish some drives. They missed who, two who, Western, Western or Western, State. Western. Yeah. Um, their, their offense is pretty good though. I, yeah. I, I think. And you know, I, I said on last week's podcast that they would test the secondary cause their, their, their offense is kind of similar to what Northwestern has ran under Clayton Thorson as quarterback, which has, you know, that really tested Michigan state. Clayton Thorson beat us three times. Formidable. So, uh, Northwestern is very formidable. Yeah. Actually, um, just do a quick callback. I don't want to stop talking about no state, but um, for very long. But one a point I was going to bring up about Michigan, one of the reasons that play calling really annoyed me is it was reminiscent last year when Michigan was losing to Northwestern yeah. and they were playing like they still had eight quarters left when they had <laughs> a half left in field position game, just chug along, try to play mistake-free football after a few mistakes early. And it's like Michigan fans want a little pep in that step. Yeah. Sorry, you bringing up Northwestern reminded me yeah. of that. No worries. But, but yeah, like I said, um, 17 points, like I said, against Western. No yeah. cause for concern. Not that uh, – Ten, ten not, of which not, came not, on the last two drives. And like I said, not that state fans were, were concerned. Right. But they maybe were like, eh, just a little bit lower. But, no, it's – that's actually no. a very good Mac offense. Defense maybe worse than some fans realize just because they were seven six. Western was really one sided. Right. Kind of like Michigan State. But fifty one points is kinda what you want when you play a team. <laughs> That's it, right. It, not, not that their offense not that I have right. many criticisms of the offense. And like I said, it wasn't just the fifty one points, it was how they did it. It looked like Brad Salem had a lobotomy that opened up a whole nother portion of his brain <laughs> since last week because Graham Couch from Lansing State Journal put it really well. In eight weeks, they accomplished what they couldn't get together in eight months. You know, it was it was about eight months between the Red Box Bowl and the game versus Tulsa. In eight days? You mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, you sorry, said I said eight weeks. My bad. 
Um, so I, w- I was thinking like uh, summer camp or <laughs> and yeah, you know, camp. it was Western, but last year would they have done that against Western? Probably not. So, and uh, Daryl Stewart had a really nice game. He had ten catches for 185 yards and a touchdown, and he he was sure-handed throughout the game. Like he, Lewerke went to him a lot on third downs, and yeah, Salem he really utilized the strength of all of his players. Lewerke, C.J. Hayes really stepped in to fill the void left by Jalen Naylor's injury. He had a uh, he he was just really nice with the ball in his hand after the catch. Like I said, Daryl Stewart, 10 for 185. That's When you get almost 200 receiving yards, that's fantastic. Matt Dotson had a nice game at tight end. Connor Hayward, I, I think Brad Salem is going to start coaching to his strengths. You, you, we saw him catching balls on slants on third down, which he was really he's, – he's got really good hands. He did have only three carries for 13 yards and a fumble, I believe, and that was – that was one of the negatives for Michigan State. They did turn the ball over two times. And that was one of the positives against Tulsa was that they didn't turn it over at all, which was nice. Um, and I think we're going to see players start to fit into their defined roles. Like Elijah Collins is going to be their go-to back. And I think true freshman Ant Williams, who played his first game on Saturday night, is also going to split carries when it comes to it. Ladarius Jefferson is assuming the role of touchdown Hawk, which I really like because he's a big body and he's versatile. He was uh, one of the players of the year as quarterback in the state of Michigan for Muskegon. So you could potentially line Ladarius Jefferson up in a wildcat from the one and he can pass it. He can run it. He can do a lot of different things. Um, Yeah. The MSU running backs looked really promising, especially the young ones in Jefferson Collins and Williams. I saw that uh, Michigan State is up. I, I can't recall what they were ranked in uh, week one, after week one. I think they went from 18 to 19, and now I think they're back, back to 18. In the S&P, of course. SMP, that's, not okay. the only, uh, that's not the only uh, ranking out there, but and, uh, they're one of uh, seven teams ranked in the top 25 that uh, that's on Michigan's schedule this year, too. Yeah, and um, – you know, back to the defense, they still had a lot of positives. John Lossing is a senior. Like I said, his seasons have been cut short his sophomore and junior season. So we haven't really seen Wasink, like become all that he can be. And I think this year we might see it in the MAC. And, um, you know, they, had, they forced three sacks, two interceptions, a fumble recovery. And I think at least from the defensive facing the offense perspective – the competition is going to get a little bit easier next week, but I'll get into that in a, in a second. And that, that, that's Arizona State. They Arizona play next State. week, right? Yeah. Yep. I, uh, I think they're an elite defense. I still think that after last week. Um, shocked that the offense might have overshadowed them this week. Uh, um, I mean, people – But that, but I understand why Michigan that's that. Michigan State fans would have been happy if Michigan State scored 35. <laughs> the fact that they scored 51. And, again, it's – it was the way they were doing it. They opened up the offense completely. So if they can keep it rolling, that'll be most encouraging because anybody can have a good offensive game once every two years. Mm. Michigan State needs to build on it. All their players. Lewerke needs to have a solid game against Arizona State. He had he had some mental errors in last year's game that cost them. The Much game. easier, though, will be at home this year. Yeah. Uh, they won't be playing uh, 
I, I would. In the Western time zone, they won't be playing with that heat, even though it's actually warm in Michigan this week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited to see how Elijah Collins responds because there was very little tape on him coming into Saturday night. Now there's going to be some tape on him, and now the fans have expectations for him. Uh, I did point him out on the last podcast, but I didn't think he was going to have 192 yards. Um, he's still looking for that first touchdown. You know, that's part of the. That's actually something. That's part that, of the trade-off of having a touchdown hawk on your team. That's something I said that if Michigan State wants to really have a great season, not just a good season, that they needed some production from the running backs last yeah. week, and he delivered this week. And they can all fill different roles, which is so exciting to me. But again, the offensive line went to a zone blocking scheme instead of like a man blocking scheme that they had against Tulsa. I'm interested to see how that goes because. They're still missing their starting left tackle in Cole Chewins and their backup left tackle. So they're still pretty shuffled on that end. Um, and there's not really a timeline for when they'll be healthy. So this might be the way going forward until further notice, blocking-wise. Um, Were you uh, shocked that uh, they opened up the playbook like that? Yeah. like Why don't you think they did it against Tulsa? Well, I think D'Antonio did light a little bit of a fire under their ass this week. Oh, yeah, that's Why didn't do it against Tulsa? I just didn't execute, or was it play calling? It might have been. It's you know, it might have started with the offensive line. The offensive line just might not have had the hogs to go man to man against a solid defensive line, and Tulsa's defensive line is certainly better than Western's. So that probably started and they were still using Hayward as the majority running back. And I think Elijah Collins showed a lot of running back experience over Connor Hayward because Connor Hayward has been a running back for two and a half years now. Whereas Elijah Collins has been a running back since he was uh, like 14, 15 years old. What was the score in the Tulsa game early on? Like after the first quarter, Um, was it seven, nothing? I think it was like, Three ten, nothing, ten to nothing, because I I believe um, the defense blocked a punt and then the uh, the offense only got a field goal out of I it. I think sometimes when the bigger schools don't have a big league, big lead, or they're playing from behind early on, I think sometimes coaches go conservative and safe. Right. So I was curious and that, if that maybe might have been it as well, but. It was, it was a lot more fun watching it Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of got that feeling. Uh, I thought they would open it up a bit, but it took me by surprise when they opened it up with the, um, a play action. And the play action wasn't like your run-of-the-mill play action. It looked like a unique type of play action that led to a 26-yard pickup to Daryl Stewart, I believe, and then a 29-yard run for Collins. Those are your first two plays. Uh, Lewerke had a really nice play where it looked like he was going to run the ball, and both of the it was almost like an option play because both of the defenders caved in on him and he flipped the ball forward to CJ Hayes who picked up 13 yards in a first down. And Lowerke could do that because he was still behind the line of scrimmage. And um, Lowerke did catch a pass for 17 yards and then um, scared the, the living bejesus out of me because he tried to dive between two defenders into the end zone. <laughs> I would have preferred he just stepped out of bounds after catching that one. <laughs> no need to get injured against a Mac team. Right. Seems like he's okay right now. So I saw that um, 
Michigan State, if you combine all three sides of the ball right now, is one of the better teams uh, in efficiency ratings. I did see that. And, again, their special teams was efficient. They didn't give up any long returns on punts or kickoffs. They had a fumble recovery on special teams. Coglin again, was perfect for field goals. And they only punted once, and it was a pretty long one uh, from Harbarger that, again, resulted in a, in a fumble recovery. I think that might have been downplayed a little bit, not necessarily by you, because I think you touched on it last week, but how state special teams play has actually hurt hurt them last year. It did a little bit, yeah. Well, a lot, but um, <laughs> it looks like it's short up to this point. Not just uh, kickers, but also uh, return men. Yeah. So, um. Coming up next is Arizona State. They have a true freshman quarterback in Jaden Daniels playing his first true road game. And it's it's a big one for Mark D'Antonio. He's got a chance to become the winningest head coach in Michigan State football history. So unless you have any uh, questions or comments on Michigan State, I'm just going to get I, I, I wouldn't mind talking about next week's game. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Arizona State, they beat Kent State 30-7 to in week one. They really struggled with FCS opponent. Sacramento State. I didn't realize they're FCS opponent. I knew they yeah. were a smaller school. So the final score was nineteen to seven, and I believe Arizona State scored late in the game because it was actually twelve to seven for most of it. Uh, they're averaging one hundred thirty-one rush yards per game, to, which is I believe like ninety-fourth in the country. Uh, two hundred ninety-four passing yards per game is pretty good, but they run the ball on over 65% of their plays. So they're going to try to establish a run game early on. Very old school football. Yeah. I mean, their coach is Herm, Herm Edwards <laughs> after all. I really like their running back, Eno Benjamin, but it seems like maybe he's not being utilized to the best of his ability. And Michigan State's defensive line is just a beast. And they, the defense takes a lot of responsibility for the loss last year because it was 13-3. to three going into the fourth quarter and the final score was 16 to 13. Joe Bocci was talking about the bad taste in his mouth, walking off the field and how they've been looking forward to this game for a year now. I went to bed when it was 13 to three and woke up and it was saw that state loss and was surprised. <laughs> the game also kicked off at 10 30 PM. That's Eastern the only time. reason I didn't <laughs> the fact that I stayed up to the third quarter. I was yeah. kind of uh, proud of myself. I'm in my thirties now. Come on now. <laughs> I, I do expect uh, Arizona State's offense to struggle against Michigan State. Like I said, true freshman quarterback. As He's looked pretty impressive. They've only turned the ball over two times through their first two games, just like Michigan State. But you're playing on, on your home field against Kent State and Sacramento State, and you scored they didn't look, 49 points. Right, right. They didn't necessarily look bad against Kent State. Um, I was reading it. I read up on that game. I think they could have. You might want to expect more out of a right. bigger school. But um, they did some things well. I like their running game, and I like I mean, their defense a bit. But that score Kent was better State. than Michigan State's game against Tulsa. <laughs> that what? Oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. Beat, it was, they yeah. beat Kent State by more than Michigan State. I think Kent State's Tulsa. a worse team than Tulsa, though, because they're kind of towards the bottom of the mat. Come yeah. from a, like I said, if um, Michigan State or Michigan played – Kent State, you'd be expecting uh, 49 to because they're worse than in Western Michigan. You'd be expecting a 49 to 7 victory. Right. So, yeah. The, the key for me to watch is can Michigan State's offense just keep the explosive plays coming? I'm not by any means expecting 51 points, but if you can score 28 traditional points, not the way they scored 28 against Tulsa, but you know, if you can put up four or five touchdowns, 
you, you're really putting yourself in a good position to win the game. And again, looking forward to see how Elijah Collins follows up his his grand opening performance. You know, how do you follow that up? Because that that'll say a lot more than just one performance. And uh, the turnover battle will be key. Like I said, both offenses only two turnovers given away throughout the first two games, but the defenses are kind of feasting on turnovers for both teams. Yeah. 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 Um, they do have one explosive receiver. I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I think it's Brandon Ayuk. Ayuk. <laughs> don't ask me, but I do expect a Michigan state win. And I, I really just want to see them build on what the offense produced on Saturday night. I expect Michigan state to win too. I just wonder if they bring their A game, I see it being a blowout. I could see like 34, 14. Because I, I think Arizona State, their ceiling is scoring 17. <laughs> I, yeah. I, 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 I don't think they have a better offense than unless, Western. Unless Herm Edwards is really hiding some tricks up his sleeve. No, he's not. And let me tell you why. He's a good public speaker. He's actually a great public speaker. He, he had he, a job he, at ESPN for a long time. Yep. He's a mediocre NFL coach. He is a bad, he is a poor, (laughs) let me use that word, a poor (laughs) college coach because he's old school. And usually high school, they say high schools come up with new styles of play. Colleges introduce it to the nationally. And then NFL uh, teams are the last to adapt, but they perfect it. Right. Herm Edwards coaches from the 1980s. <laughs> That's why I don't have a lot of uh, faith in his offense. I could see, best case scenario, they probably score 17 points. I could see them scoring in the single digits. Now, Michigan State will benefit from Arizona State's poor uh, offense because their defense will feast on it. Right. And if we see Michigan State's offense from week one, they'll score 20-something points. If we see it from week two, even against a pretty good Arizona State defense, I think they could score 30 because it won't just be their performance. It will be turnovers. Right. And even though I know Arizona State doesn't give up a lot, best case scenario, Michigan State still wins the field um, position game. Right. When you bring a true freshman quarterback into a situation like that and his third career start, first time – not playing on his home field. He's going to be playing in the Eastern time zone. Yeah. I'd be shocked if they didn't turn the ball over at least one time. At least one time. I'd be stunned. And uh, I think that's going to affect that fear from Herman Edwards is going to affect uh, Arizona State's play calling in a negative way, in my opinion. I think so. And uh, one thing that might go under the radar but is – huge for Michigan state was that defensive end Jack camper was listed on the depth chart this week uh, as a backup, which he he was mostly a backup last year, but Michigan state's been playing essentially with three defensive ends for the first two weeks. You really don't want to tire out Kenny Willekes and Jacob Panashuk in the first three or four games of the season. So if, if Jack camper can come on and play just a few series, that is huge for Michigan state. I'm actually a little bit surprised uh, that Arizona State's averaging 294 pass yards a game, even considering their, their competition. Yeah, because I, I actually would have thought 
statistically, that's, that's really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, only 131 rush yards a game. I actually would have expected and that to be Daniels higher. Is reasonably mobile. He hasn't broken any huge runs yet, but I believe they're running him between nine and ten times a game. Which so they're going to test Michigan State at some point with a mobile quarterback. I just don't see it being closer than 21-17. I hope that, not. That, that's like worst-case scenario yeah. for Michigan State, I think. I, 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 I'll be shocked if they if I come back next week and we're talking about a loss there. Um, I'll be more shocked than the Army-Michigan game that I was so confident about <laughs> last week. So that almost makes me concerned. <laughs> uh, it's like a – the college football uh, prediction uh, from um, Corso a couple years ago. Uh, he kept picking against Michigan State in 2015. 2015. Wow. Uh, time Michigan goes by State fast. was on college game day four times against Oregon, Michigan, Ohio State, and Iowa. And the first three times Corso picked against Michigan State and they won. And then the fourth time he picked us, and I was like, <gasps> I'm so worried. <laughs> but yeah. So Michigan in two weeks has uh they'll be playing in Madison at uh Wisconsin. Uh Wisconsin's also on a bye. Like we spoke about earlier, they've looked really good beating South Florida 49 nothing. And then this past week winning 61 to nothing against Central. Central Michigan. Uh which is JJ Wobble. and despite the fact that central was two and 10 last year i still think i think anytime a defense does a shutout play you know uh gets a shutout uh is impressive no matter no matter who you're playing against um to do it in the first two weeks of the season when you're supposed to be like sloppy no more like we said south florida like i said they just lost to georgia tech which is in a transition year after being a a objectively poor power five team last year yeah uh, you know, South Florida, I, I, it's funny. I think uh, their coach, what's his name? I'm blanking on it. Former Willie Texas. Taggart. No, no, no. That's Florida oh, State. Uh, Charlie Strong. Yeah, Charlie Strong. I think Taggart was there at one point. Yes, yes, yes. But he was Charlie there. Strong is there now. And it's looking like Charlie Strong uh, might have had an impressive first season with Taggart's players. and But, yeah, anyway. Uh, Taggart can go back after he's fired. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're getting off track. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Wisconsin but, shut shut out their first two opponents. But but I think uh, there might be if, if Michigan comes out and plays well, it might be a little bit of a shock uh, to Wisconsin, who may not have seen good competition this so far. But like I said last week, I still am impressed by them. Michigan going on the road, um, you know, it's going to be a challenge. Um, we we're talking about how well Michigan State's played in special teams. I still like uh, Michigan's kickers, but I don't, I haven't been impressed with their returners so far. No. Lavert Hill, of course, had a fumble in the first game. I think that's where Donovan People Jones will be uh, big for them. It will actually also help the passing game as well as Tariq uh, Black and Ronnie Bell. And um, so I, I know you're not inside the team model or whatever. How much of a percentage do you put on Donovan Peoples-Jones playing on next week? Uh, in two weeks? Yeah, their next game. I think there's a good chance. Um, I True Wilson. Let me get to True Wilson real quick. He would have been nice on uh, 
uh, last week. Uh, that's their running back. He uh, split time with Christian Turner and Charbonnet in week one. Um, I like the I like them using all three backs. I wish Turner would have played more last week, not only because I think not playing him put a lot of pressure on Charbonnet and wear and tear, but Charbonnet is a between-the-tackles guy. Christian yeah. Turner's good at going outside and bouncing around. And True Wilson didn't play a whole lot in week one, but yeah. he also kind of limited the wear and tear on the first two guys, and he apparently had a really good fall camp. And I just like the three-back system. Um, but Charbonnet is has been <laughs> stellar on uh, picking up blitzes so far. Wow, that was somewhat ominous, right? As I said that, <laughs> we had some thunder in our studio. Um, but who Michael Spath actually said that he, he, Charbonnet might be the second best blocking running back since he's been watching Michigan football in 40 years, with the first being Chris Floyd in 1997. Oh, yeah, we um, all remember Chris Floyd. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's a legend around here. Um, and... There was an analyst that uh, played for Oklahoma and, uh, when Adrian Peterson uh, was there. I wish I could remember his name, but he you could tell he almost didn't want to say it after two games, but he said that Zach Charbonnet is uh, the second best uh, blocking running back he's seen behind Adrian Peterson, who he played with. I wish I would have wrote that down. Um, Interesting. But, yeah, I've been really <laughs> impressed, and I think going on the road – if Michigan can get any kind of lead against Wisconsin and they can utilize their running backs, that's and, the way to win the game. And kind of force Wisconsin to throw the ball more than run it because their strength, you know. They, they that's how be, they won last year. Yeah. So it might be interesting to see, like, who gets the ball first. Yeah, yeah. If uh, whoever gets the ball first goes down and scores, that might – Set the tone early. I have a love-hate relationship with this rivalry. I really miss playing Wisconsin when Michigan didn't it for what seemed like six, seven, eight years. <laughs> From 2009 to 2015, 2015, they didn't play at all. Yeah, and you look at their battles when Loy Carr and Barry Alvarez were there. Uh, Rich Rod, his only... <laughs> His, his, his he, big he, win he yeah, his won big, was uh, that comeback, which he, was crazy. He wishes he could play Notre Dame in Wisconsin every year. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only time he seemed to get big wins. Um, but, yeah. So was, let me ask you, like, what, what scares you, the, what concerns you the most going into the game? The play calling and Shea Patterson. I, I, I still don't know what the problem is. I can't diagnose it. I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's. And if Michigan gets behind and they uh, and they just decide we're going to try to do the field position thing, they're going up against a formidable depo- opponent. Yeah. And I don't know if that's going to work the same way it does against Middle Tennessee or an Army team. And um, I haven't watched a lot of uh, Wisconsin. I didn't see any. I didn't see any of the game against Central. And uh, they played a Friday night at the same time as Michigan State. They did. So I I was flipping back and forth, so I didn't sit through uh, either one of those games all the way through. Um, Like I said, um, they are now my favorites in the West, so I consider this a huge game. Yeah. And uh, it's not like Iowa's look bad. They just look that good. Yes, they have. And um, we'll get into it a lot more on our next episode. If there's anything else you want to – 
say. Well, I, 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 would, I would be interested in what you think of Wisconsin so far. <laughs> Michigan State plays them this year, too. Yep, Michigan State will travel up there on October 12th. Um, you know, we're kind of in the same boat. Yes, I'm very impressed that you outscored those two teams, 110 nothing combined, and I'm very impressed by Jonathan Taylor. But the the game in two weeks, it's going to be as telling to me about Wisconsin as it is about Michigan. Yeah, because Michigan's defense has looked good. Yeah, I mean, maybe not as good as last year, maybe not as good as 2016, but I definitely think they're comparable to a good 2017 defense that also had an offense and that didn't put them in the best positions. You're going to have a team that from the outside looking in has cruised to two victories versus a team that had a pretty comfortable victory week one and in some ways is happy to be 2-0 and after week two. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is if they get hit in the mouth, this Wisconsin team this year, I know they might have some upperclassmen that have, that went, you know, have experienced eight and five and yeah. losing some games, but Michigan this year definitely have faced some adversity, definitely. and that could be a strength for them. So real quick, I want to get into the Big Ten teams that impressed us. To me, uh, Maryland – beating number 21 Syracuse 63-20 to with an offensive performance like that, it validates their 79-point win in week one for me. Um, you know, it's like it's kind of like, so you can do that once. I don't, I don't against really care. Howard. Can, right. I'm sure anyone can do it against do Howard. It against Syracuse team. Or Lenny or Carl. <laughs> or <laughs> To do it against a ranked Syracuse team that won a bowl game last year, that impresses me a lot. Somewhat overrated, I Some, think. Yeah, I mean. Same with Boston College. Same with all of the ACC, all except the ACC. maybe Clemson. I mean, look at Miami, Florida, and Florida State right now. Yeah. But anyways. Well, um, Miami and, you said Florida. Miami, Florida. Yeah. Sorry, Miami, Miami Florida, Florida being one team. Yeah, my, not Miami, oh, okay, Florida, yeah. and Florida State. Okay, I was like, <laughs> one of those is in the SEC. Um, yeah, Josh Jackson and Anthony McFarland are very explosive. I'm interested to see if they can do it consistently. Again, like Temple. Josh Jackson had some moments with Virginia Tech. He did, and Mike Loxley is a good coach, and this isn't his first go-around at Maryland. He's been an interim coach there before, so it's kind of like he knows this, the place. Maybe not the system because he was with different coaching staffs, but when you know – a campus and a university, it does help a little bit to uh, a, a first-year head coach. For morale, for comfortability. Yeah. And um, part of me is thinking, depending on what they do this week against Temple, could they possibly be a dark horse in the East? I mean, they do get Penn State and Michigan at the shell, as Loxley likes to call it, and their crossover games are at Purdue and at Minnesota, which are, to me, very easable, easy. Eh, very winnable games. <laughs> we can talk good. <laughs> and um, Ohio State and Iowa both got shutout wins. Ohio State winning 42 nothing over an in-state rival in Cincinnati. That, that's almost like standard for them. But Iowa 30 nothing over Rutgers. Their offense doesn't look like your typical Iowa offense. Like They're a little bit more explosive than they have been in a long time, despite losing – Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson to the NFL. Wow, I was just looking up Temple last year. They were upset in week one against uh, FBS Villanova. Right. But they still went on to have a good season. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Week two after getting – they were blown out by Notre Dame in week one. And then they lost to FBS um, Villanova 
in week two. No, this, wow, this is weird. It's showing their 2017 schedule and their 2018 schedule together. Okay. That's weird. I'm sorry. Some of those games were from 2017, but they did lose to Villanova in week one. Looks like they beat Maryland pretty 35 last to 14. Year. So this is a bit of a revenge they, game for Maryland. Boston College, they put up a fight. Who had a pretty good year last year. I think they went eight and five, but a little overrated like Syracuse. Then they beat Cincinnati, who had a good year last yeah. year. 24 to 17. So I was just curious, like, what this would mean if they beat Temple. But it's a team that beat them last year. Now, granted, Maryland lost their quarterback early after mm-hmm. beating Texas early. Uh, and speaking of Cincinnati, Ohio State put on a butt whooping. They did. And Cincinnati's not bad. They might be the second best team in the American behind uh, Central Florida. Yeah. I still have them number one. I think Maryland, don't know where to put them. I've kind of been saying they're a dark horse for a while. Yeah, I'm not ready to say they're a contender, but like I said, getting Penn State and Michigan at home and then sort of an easier scale of the crossover games, like they, they got a little bit of a luck of the draw. And they were a play away from beating Ohio State last year, yeah. late in the season. Yeah, I mean, Durkin did a good – he might be a scumbag, but he did a good job of getting talent there. And yeah. I've, I've been saying since he was hired um, before he was fired that they, 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 that they could be a dark horse. Every, at the beginning of every season, I say they could be a dark horse. Yeah. Um, but I, I still have Ohio State 1, uh, Penn State right there, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan State. I think Michigan could easily get it together. I have re- they've definitely shown reasons to doubt them. Just being a sloppy team, yeah. Um, it's really difficult to do a power ranking of the conference right now. But Ohio there's, State, there's been some lopsided wins, and um, I still think Rutgers is number fourteen out of fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> did they well, did they lose to Buffalo again? Or <laughs> are they, Iowa beat them thirty to nothing? Ah, uh, yeah. But yeah. Um, so that's. Pretty much a wrap for us on this week of the Paul Bunyan podcast. We can go deep dive, and I'm going to look up some things on Wisconsin, and we can really preview. Watch some film. Yeah, and then uh, we'll we'll definitely have a better idea of where Michigan State is after this week. Definitely. You can find us on Twitter, at Paul Bunyan Pod. Uh, we're now on Spotify and Anchor. Uh, you can email us with any Questions, comments, concerns, if you have some. The Paul, the Paul Bunyan podcast at gmail.com. Ohio State did not get that trademark. The, yeah. So we can still say the Paul Bunyan podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us. We just gave out the at you know, Paul Bunyan pod. We have a Facebook page. And give us your thoughts. And if it's good, we'll put it on air. And if not, we'll ignore it. But until next week. I'm Mike, the Michigan fan. And I'm Joe, the state fan. And hopefully we'll be talking to you with uh, Mark D'Antonio becoming the winningest coach in Spartan history. Thank you. Thanks.